Welcome to HR and Cocktails, brought to you by Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR, the show for business owners and executives to learn more about all aspects of human resources with your host, Kimberly Prescott. Thank you for joining us for this episode of HR and Cocktails. Um, We are still doing the social distancing edition, but it is great to have my guest here today, um, Christine Ross, the President and CEO of the Maryland Chamber of Commerce. I'm extremely happy to have her as our guest today because as I know you all know, businesses have been extremely impacted. Um, So thank you, Christine. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. So the first question that I want to ask you is for you just to introduce yourself. Tell us about you. Wow. So um, I'm a Navy brat. I am uh, one of eight kids, large family, and um, came to Maryland three years ago from Southwest Florida to take over the state chamber. Um, My husband's a school teacher, and I have three adult sons. Oh, that's awesome. So I guess being in Annapolis feels natural to you, um, being a Navy brat. Sure, it does. (laughs) One of my brothers did graduate from the academy, so we go to all the home football games. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm former Air Force, but that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So thank you again, and thank you for all the work that you're doing with the Chamber. Uh, So what I wanted to start with is really to give our guests um, and our listeners some of uh, the background around Chambers of Commerce. Um, You know, I think that some of us know about Chambers of Commerce. We know that our city or our county may have a Chamber of Commerce. But I'm not sure that people understand how the chamber system works, that there's a U.S. chamber, there's state chambers, and then there are local chambers. Um, so can you um, tell our listeners a bit about the chamber system, and then we'll kind of get into what the Maryland Chamber does specifically. So if you start with a, a sort of a global view, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is paying attention to uh, the global economy, paying attention to the national economy, paying attention to elections across the United States, and they are um, a wonderful resource for any chamber of commerce, large or small, in the way of data, best practices, advocacy, and support uh, expertise. And then from there, you go to the state chambers, and the state chambers are extremely involved in advocacy at both the federal and the state level. And the state chamber is paying attention to businesses in every single sector. So we are comprehensive in our view and our concern versus uh, maybe a specialty organization like uh, retailers or um, realtors. So uh, we pay attention to every aspect of the economy and quality of life. And then from there, you might find uh, regional chambers of commerce the next step down. You might find county chambers of commerce, and then from there you might find even um, more micro chambers of commerce that are specific to one or two towns. And in my um, career, I started with a very small chamber of commerce out in Williamstown, Massachusetts, with about 250 members, and have moved my way through the ecosystem now to the state chamber level. So I've worked in every aspect of the industry except for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And we all work collaboratively, I think is is really the most important thing to say is um, we are all part of a brand that advocates for business. 
Awesome. So, and that's good to know. And I think um, it's important to understand that there are larger supports and more global um, initiatives that are being um, looked at and that the, 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 the other chambers are working together to build on some of the concerns and bring them up to the top. Um, so I think that that's something that's interesting to note and something that certainly before I became actively involved in our local chamber, the Howard County Chamber, before I became active in that chamber, I had no idea. Um, so can you talk specifically about the focus of the Maryland Chamber for businesses in Maryland and you know, how you um, see yourself um, and your role for businesses in Maryland? So we see ourselves as the lead advocacy organization for businesses across the state. And then we build upon that um, a year ago, we created, or a year and a half ago now, we created the Maryland Chamber Federation. And that has 21 other chambers and associations as our partners. And that created then 4,500 businesses that are part of the Maryland Chamber Federation. And so when we um, look at legislation that's coming through at the state or the federal level, and if we find that it could be a challenge for the job creators in the state, we might get a grassroots advocacy effort going to either stop or modify a piece of legislation. And so by going through the Federation, we are able to really reach across the entire breadth of the state of Maryland um, down into um, employees and, and residents. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's important for you know, people to understand the advocacy piece. And really advocacy um, meaning um, being involved in the shaping of legislation and giving feedback and soliciting feedback and having work groups. Um, I am involved in the human resources work group um, with the Maryland Chamber as well as the legislative affairs with Howard County. So I definitely get to see um, a lot of what that advocacy looks like. But for those that aren't involved, um, can you talk a little bit about what advocacy means um, for the, the, the chamber and how businesses can get involved in advocacy if they're members? Sure. So the chamber has two full-time lobbyists um, on staff, and they, through uh, 10 policy committees, review every single piece of legislation that comes out at the state level, for instance. And so we have a labor and employment policy committee that reviews every single piece of legislation that comes out. And we're looking for um, whether it's gonna be more costly for businesses to do their work if the legislation passes, or if it's going to be helpful to the business community so they'll be able to grow their business and maybe add more employees. So we review every piece of legislation and then we form an opinion, whether we want to support it or oppose it, or potentially to write an amendment that might um, improve it in some way. And then that goes through our legislative committee and the legislative committee votes to either adopt the recommendation of the policy committee or not. And then our lobbyists move forward in tandem with the business community. So if there's something that we think is um, really, really important, we might do a call to action, and we might um, email our 4,500 partners across the state 
and ask them to come on a specific date to Annapolis to testify on the impact of a piece of legislation. And what we've seen happen uh, since we created the Federation is that we have many more businesses making the trip. We give everybody directions. We let them know where to park. We let them know how long it's going to take. And then we have them tell their individual stories to the legislators so that when they're at that table testifying, the legislators are not just hearing from the Maryland Chamber of Commerce. They're hearing from a business like yours, Kimberly, where you can say, this is going to hurt me and this is why. And then that really means something to them. And so we're seeing that we're having greater success by bringing these small business people to Annapolis to speak about the impact legislation can have on them. And I think it's important, and thank you, because I think it's important for people to understand that that avenue is available, that business owners and executives understand that that um, avenue is available, and to also understand that it doesn't have to be intimidating. You think about testifying before legislators, and the reality is, is that it's a room with a table and people are sitting there and there are chairs and they ask you a question and you answer it or you give a statement. Um, it's not, um, I think we watch TV and we, you know, are, you know, grew up with court TV like I did. I've always been a court TV junkie or a C-SPAN junkie. It's not that heavy, right? There's not, you know, five microphones in front of you at a table and, you know, cameras flashing. So it's not intimidating. And so I think that it's important that business owners and executives understand that you have the ability to do that. And having been involved, um, you you are prepared. When you're working with your local chamber, you're working with the Maryland Chamber, um, you're prepared when you go in there. You know what you're going to say. It's you know you know how it's going to work, so you don't have to be intimidated by the process. And that piece um, is it's it's important because you do think I'm going to drive to Annapolis, I'm going to walk into this building, and I don't know what to expect. Um, but it doesn't have to be intimidating. And I do appreciate the fact that you know the you, when you get to the point where they've done the call to action, you know specifically what you're coming in to speak about. You know what you're talking about, and to your point, all the way down to the directions and what room you're going to. And it's important yeah, because we, it can be overwhelming. <laughs> it sure can. We really try to hold people's hands. If, if a business owner is going to take time away from their business to come to Annapolis, we try to make it as um, unintimidating as possible. And so um, we really value that time and, and we, make, um, we make it as comfortable as possible. Awesome. So we are in the middle of a pandemic, clearly, right? And so with that, we know that businesses have been extremely impacted, severely impacted during this time. Can you talk a bit about what you're hearing from your members about some of the impact that the pandemic has had on them, specifically in Maryland? Sure. So, um, you know, let's start with the, the health concerns. No employer wants to um, subject their employees to um, COVID-19. And so tremendous empathy and concern for the safety and well-being of their employees. I spent a lot of time on various conference calls with folks um, right now as we're talking about reopening the economy on um, trying to figure out how they're going to keep their employees safe. 
there's a lot of discussion uh, about the economic impact and um, how devastated folks have been uh, trying to keep employees on uh, or having to let employees go. And so we've seen employers reaching out and collaborating with other folks. If they've had to lay their staff off, they're at least trying to help their staff get hired on at another company. So just wonderful collaboration um, and, and just the, that human connection of, of supporting each other um, to try to make sure their employees can uh, stay whole. And then there's a, another piece where people are, are trying to morph and, and start making other products. So whether it's um, a metal fabricator that's um, readjusting to make a product that could be health, helpful for the healthcare industry or someone who is making uniforms is now maybe making face coverings, or um, you know, emergent biosolutions partnering with other Maryland companies to try to fast track and develop a, a vaccine. So there's been all kinds of, um, of, of ways that people have pivoted and are partnering with other folks to um, create Maryland-based solutions, and that's been really impressive and gratifying to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it has been amazing to see the amount of collaboration um, in the communities across industries, across organizations, um, really um, to just make sure that we have the best outcome possible. Um, when, when, so thinking about the advocacy and the regulations and um, the impact of um, regulation on businesses. As a result of this pandemic, new legislation has come out, um, specifically the Families First Coronavirus Act and the CARES Act. And so um, the Family, um, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, FFCRA, um, has provided some additional leave. It's provided some, um, you know, requirements for businesses. But as we know, um, being practitioners, of um, regulations that when a regulation gets pushed through pretty quickly, limited guidance, it can be a bit challenging. And so we're at iteration number 10 of guidance in FAQs. I think we're up to like 75 on the FAQs on the DOL website now, um, which is, it is what it is. I mean, all legislation ultimately does that, but this went through a bit more quickly. From an advocacy perspective, without giving a position, you know, what, what have you seen has been the, I guess, the challenge that some of the organizations have had with um, applying some of these regulations so quickly with limited guidance and the fact that some of this legislation came um, and passed after people had already laid people off, after a lot of actions had already happened. Um, and so the challenge that employers may or may not having with applying some of these things? What, what are you hearing from some of your members and what resources are available through the chambers to assist them with some of that? Sure. So I think the, the adapting at a speed that is really like lightning, that's been the most challenging for our businesses. And then um, understanding the nuances of these regulations has been really, really hard. And so we have um, a resource page. Um, if you go to MarylandChamber.org, um, right on the homepage is a COVID-19 resource page. And what we've been doing is uh, once or twice a week, we have been recording 
uh, webinars where we might have um, um, a labor and employment uh, attorneys from Shaw Rosenthal talking about the nuances of the, the CARES uh, unemployment um, extension. Um, and we record them so that people can go in anytime and listen to them. And then we'll have FAQs that have come out from Department of Labor and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. We have small business toolkits that are really comprehensive uh, that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce passed out to us that we have posted there. Just, you know, all kinds of guidance and support for how to operate in, them, in this crisis situation. And then when we look at the, the financial piece, we have been advocating on a weekly basis uh, regarding the rollout of the PPP, regarding um, refunding the PPP, uh, as of last Friday, um, pushing uh, again to try to get that refunded because so few people were able to access it. Um, things like that. Uh, we, we have a great resource page and then we link to the Maryland Department of Commerce and the Maryland Department of Labor so that you can drill down to the state-specific legislation. And so um, anything that we can do to just be um, an avenue for those resources. That's really our goal. We are not going to be the expertise like you, Kimberly, on the nuances of DOL's um, new regulation, but we're certainly going to provide you with links to the FAQs for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's absolutely important because with so many regulations coming out and the overlap in the interaction between them and the uh, onslaught of information that we're getting, having a centralized location to find the resources is absolutely important. And having the ability to drill down to the various agencies that enforce them or oversee them, um, because many of them are coming from a variety of agencies. So it's difficult to manage, okay, well, who do I go to for PPP? Who do I go to for disaster loan assistance? Who do I go to for CARES? Um, and they're all different. They're all different. And so having a central location to be able to identify what the, what my questions are and who do I go to to get more information about that question is definitely important. You know, um, I'm not sure about the breakdown from your chamber um, um, for size of employers. Um, so I don't know, you know, how that works. But what I do know is that what I've been hearing Typically around PPP is that there is an impression, okay, perceived or not, or real, I'm not sure, that um, larger organizations um, were able to more quickly take advantage of some of the benefits of PPP. And so with this second round of funding, I think that there is a hope that smaller businesses will be able to take more advantage of it. Based on your um, makeup and your um, membership, what are you hearing um, from your smaller businesses? Are you hearing that they were able to take advantage? Because in speaking to some of my um, finance and banking um, colleagues, they didn't really see that a lot of the smaller businesses were able to take advantage of that. What were you hearing from your membership, if you're able to share that? Well, I think that um, the, the first thing is that people weren't sure that anyone would get access to it. And so in some situations, they felt like they shouldn't even try. And our recommendation was to absolutely reach out to your bank or your credit union or your community bank, whoever it is that you have a relationship with, 
and go through the process. Because what we know is that the banks want to help as many of their customers as possible. Now, to say that on the other side, the Small Business Administration's processing system was that up to speed, there were lots of technical issues and things that we couldn't have any control over, but um, what we wanted small businesses to do was to go through the process because we knew there would be another level of funding. So even today, if you're a small business and you wanted to take advantage of it and you heard that the first round has already um, been closed, go to your bank, do the application, go through the process, get your paperwork together because we think there will be more funding. And the more prepared you are and the further along in the process, the more opportunity you have to actually get your application reviewed. So I would say persistence is important and just, you know, some patience as well and just hope for the best because, you know, it's not a bottomless uh, funding pool, obviously, and there will be people that get left out. But as far as, you know, is it larger businesses that got the support or not, I really have no anecdotal information to answer that. Okay, that's fair. Um, so, when um, <laughs> there's just been a lot, and um, I think that there are definitely resources that businesses need right now financially to help them stay afloat or to um, help them understand what their responsibilities are to their employees. But as we talk about opening the economy. I mean, at some point that will happen. We don't know when or, or, or how the phased approach, what the phased approach will look like. But as we come out of that, what are some other resources that you think that um, businesses will need um, in order to, um, for us to do this correctly? Because at the end of the day, we didn't get to prepare to go into this. However, we do have the opportunity to prepare to come out of this. So what are some of the resources that you think that businesses need and, and maybe some things that we're not thinking about that we need to start thinking about and that we need to put some focus around to help prepare businesses? Well, so that's a really interesting question. I've been listening to um, a, a podcast series with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, um, Pathway Forward, I think is what it's called. And they're talking about all of those concepts and, and we're listening to it, my team and I, because we feel like we're going to have to provide some of that support and that guidance going forward. And so right now we're collecting as much information as we can on this topic and we have working documents that are um, trying to figure out a pathway forward for reopening the economy, but also being mindful of the great economic stress that the state's gonna be under now that we've had this emergency situation. So it's a balancing act. Um, I would expect folks to be able to look to us for more expertise in this regard. We're gonna continue our webinar series and we're plotting out who the experts might be that could come on with us and talk about different strategies to successfully reemerge from this. I would recommend that businesses expect the unexpected uh, based on what's already happened. Um, nothing is predictable and being flexible and adaptable are really gonna be the hallmarks and the keys to emerging successfully. Yeah, absolutely. And so with these resources, 
Um, you've, you've mentioned the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's pathway forward. I do know that they um, have put together um, some resources that they are um, really trying to help with um, creating some type of framework of best practices for businesses as they come out of this. Um, but what do you, because right now we have people who don't have work, we have people who are home with their children, we have people, who, and we, we don't know whether school is going to go back this year or not, but anecdotally, if we open the economy in May, children still don't go back to school, people are still concerned, that's going to cause a workforce problem. So businesses could be open, but people may not either be able or even desire to go back out into the to the um, public and interact and be in public spaces. Um, what do are any of those parts of the conversations that you're hearing um, with the pathway forward? And what are some of the things that we think we may be able to do to help support um, employers with that endeavor? Because I do think that that's going to be part of the challenge. Sure, I think that so much of this revolves around testing and creating a level of comfort for folks, whether they're the employer or the employee, to reemerge into the public space. And that's going to be um, something that is going to happen at the federal level uh, because of the scope of what that might look like. Uh, and I think it's all still in the developmental stages. Nobody knows whether you know, we're going to be checking people's temperatures or whether we're going to start um, uh, massive testing for uh, immunity. Uh, it's all still um, in the formulative stages. So um, being flexible and adaptable is really what's going to need to happen. And then I think we're going to have to have um, business is going to be done differently. What, what the normal was before is definitely not going to be the normal going forward. And it's going to take a lot of time. Um, I think the, the idea that people are going to be having golf tournaments in two months is absolutely not going to happen. We're in the process of, of rescheduling hours, and it was funny. One of my team members said, why are you pushing the golf tournament all the way back to October? And I said, because the, this is not going to turn around quickly, and I think that will be part of it, just resetting expectations. And then people are going to have to care about each other in a different way. I think they're going to have to stay home when they don't feel good rather than thinking they're going to be a star and come to work sick. That's definitely going to change that whole attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And have you heard from any of your businesses around, to your point, that things are going to, you know, business is not going to be done the way that it has before it's going to look different? And with, you know, almost all with the exception of direct service um, work, we've gone remote, we're doing more webinars, we're doing more virtual meetings. Do you think and are you hearing from any of your members that that's going to be maybe become a bit more incorporated into how they do their work? And if so, what, what do you think that that means for us um, from a business perspective? What do you think that means? So I definitely have heard from people who are adjusting their business models and trying to incorporate this virtual um, capability into what they're doing. It means that people, uh, like Chambers of Commerce, for instance, those Chambers of Commerce that um, made their bread and butter on um, networking um, meetings, 
they're going to have to learn to adapt to a virtual networking meeting. And I think that um, it's just a different concept, and I think they'll be really good at it. But if they haven't started to think about adapting in that way, they, they need to. And um, businesses that, uh, like a restaurant, I think this um, curbside delivery and takeout model is going to become really, really popular because they're only going to be able to have so many people in a restaurant for quite a period of time in order to keep the opportunity for exposure down. And so, again, being able to adapt, deliver the product or the service, but differently is really what the watchword's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the resources that you have available, the webinars that you've recorded. Are they available to the public or are they available to members? No, nope, they are definitely available to the public. They aren't behind a firewall and you can um, enter right on the home page of the Chamber's website and just go to the COVID-19 page and got to scroll all the way down and there's a ton of information we've tried to aggregate all of the resources that are there and, and for instance, you know, I just the Maryland Department of Commerce and Department of Labor, their Business Express website is just fantastic. So we want to always make sure that we're just providing the best possible resources there. And we update it multiple times a day so that it's always um, uh, the best and the freshest. Awesome. So definitely want to make sure that our listeners visit the website, um, MarylandChamber.org, correct? mdchamber.org mdchamber.org and um, visit their COVID resources page. Um, I am going to be on a webinar tomorrow, listening to um, the webinar tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and also if, if, if you all need additional resources um, that are um, more related to your day-to-day -day business, Prescott HR also has a COVID resource page. You can find furlough letters, um, policies, um, leave request if someone wants to take the ESML leave or the EPSL leave, um, you can get a sample request leave request form on our website. So definitely feel free to visit our COVID resources page as well. But Christine, I think that our listeners have been waiting for this question the whole time. Okay. And I know they are definitely concerned about all of the other things, but what they really want to know is when after you've done all of your advocating and reading all of the fun legislation, what is in your glass? So I am a Spanish red wine gal. Okay. My husband grew up about half of his life in southern Spain and um, as an adult ran a restaurant and became very familiar with all of the bodegas in the country and so um, when we got together he educated me and I just it's wonderful um, they're not highly highly known and um, it's just a great way to relax okay awesome well I'll have to do some research on Spanish red wines um, I um I, I don't know that I have one uh, to share with my um, on my on my Instagram immediately but what I do know is that curbside is available at many of our favorite <laughs> liquor stores. So I can definitely get one and have them put it in my trunk. And I can have them, um, and I will be able to show one to you. And if you send me a message and let me know what one of your favorites is, I might try to pick that up and try it myself. So, um, Elan, uh, it's a Rioja 
You can't go wrong with that brand. Okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to look on my favorite big box liquor store and um, see if I can find it. (laughs) So, Christine, thank you so much for your time. I absolutely appreciate it. And I appreciate all of the wonderful work that you all are doing at the Maryland Chamber. Um, I know that this has been all the time is busy, right? We went from being in session in Annapolis going into a pandemic. Um, so I know that you all are constantly working and constantly busy, um, but we definitely appreciate the resources that you're providing for businesses um, and the other chambers throughout the state. Um, so we just hope that you will be safe and healthy during this time, and we thank you so much. You're welcome, Kimberly. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for joining us this month on HR and Cocktails please make sure to visit our website at www.prescotthr.com where you can subscribe to the show. And while you're at it, if you're interested in learning more about our consulting services, please complete the contact form on the website. And don't forget to tell a friend about Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR.